Hello and welcome to the Healthy Gamer Girl podcast. I'm Liz, the Healthy Gamer Girl, and this is episode 21. So a quick caveat, as usual, I am still not a doctor and this podcast is not meant to be taken as medical advice, nor is it intended to treat, diagnose, or cure any condition. So please always consult with your physician before beginning any new diet or health regimen. With that out of the way, I think we can get on to the main subject, which is soda, and why is soda so addictive? So I'll admit, I don't really drink soda anymore, but if it were good for me, I would probably guzzle it every single day. I love soda. I'm not, I won't even pretend like I'm above that. I really do. I love soda. I don't know what it is. It's something about the bubbles and probably the caffeine. We'll talk about that in a second. But... I thought I'd talk a little bit about why soda is so addictive because I know a ton of us drink a lot of soda. It's like always that joke that like Code Red Mountain Dew is kind of like the the official drink of gamers, but I'm not actually sure that's a joke. Between like energy drinks which are essentially like hyper-powered sodas and actual just regular sodas, that's probably like the majority of the beverages we drink. Um, of course, I give up soda because I'm a hippie, but I do actually still drink it sometimes, and I'll talk a little bit about that later too, like what types of soda I drink. So on to the main point, and that is why soda is so addictive. Now it's a combination of factors, but first amongst these is sugar and the sugar content of soda. So There's no fat or fiber or protein present in a soda to slow the absorption of sugar into the bloodstream. Because as we've talked about before, when all or any of those other compounds or macronutrients are present, the body has to work more to break down that food. So it's like when you eat a cookie, there's also fat in that cookie. There is actually protein in that cookie. There are complex carbohydrates often in those cookies and so it takes a little bit of effort on your body's part to break it down and that effort takes time. So it's basically releasing that sugar into your bloodstream at a surprisingly more tempered pace. So yes, cookies are somehow better for you for the most part than a soda, at least in terms of insulin response and blood sugar regulation. So consuming this sugar essentially shoots 40 grams, or consuming the soda essentially shoots 40 grams of sugar into your bloodstream. And that's for your average 12 ounce can of soda. That is a lot of sugar. That is so much sugar. So it's like 10 teaspoons, pretty much. It's crazy. I can't even handle that. But anyway, consuming that sugar handles or activates the brain's pleasure center, and that triggers the release of a variety of chemicals in the body, including dopamine. Now, these are all these feel-good chemicals you hear about all the time, and your body loves this. And amongst those, dopamine is a neurotransmitter that is linked to so many functions in the brain. But the ones we're concerned about with today are mood and reward. So mood regulation, which is like keeping you happy or sad, and reward, which is like when you train your dog to sit because it knows it's getting a treat. It's like we're essentially large dogs. So in addition to sugar consumption, alcohol and drug use actually also trigger dopamine release, um, as does hanging out with friends. So I think it's a little bit hasty to 
rush to like, sugar is a drug, sugar is just as bad as cocaine. It's like, all right there, champ, slow it down. Um, yes, sugar does activate the same part of your brain as cocaine does, but it is actually a different type of response. It's not necessarily the same response. And as much as I hate to say it, with sugar, you're actually getting some nutritive value in that your body is getting energy to run. You really can't live off of uh, just doing lines all day, but you could probably live off spooning sugar into your face. So I'm just saying sugar is not equivalent to class t- class one drugs. And I think it's a little crazy when headlines scream that and try to indicate that if you're giving your child a cupcake, you're also instantly making them addicted to drugs. I don't know. I know that inflammation, like inflammatory writing, and I know that panic and fear-mongering sells articles and sells magazines, but I think it's also really irresponsible. Anyway, I don't love sugar. I just don't think it's necessarily the devil, like it's kind of been made out to be lately. But that is neither here nor there. We're talking about dopamine and the brain associating sugar and soda with these good feelings. So it's that dopamine response that you, you're you consuming the soda so your brain learns to associate that with these good feelings. And that's actually great for marketers too because the way it works and like our brains are really complex. It's not just tasting soda or having the actual compounds in your body that will trigger this craving. It will now just when you look at soda or you see it in a quick store or an ad for the soda on TV, your brain knows and says, oh, that's the stuff we like. You want that. So it's really sneaky the way that works. It's also pretty cool. And um, thoughts on this are basically that it's just another evolutionary mechanism that hasn't quite caught up with us yet because our brains aren't necessarily designed to have access to all of the sugar and all of these, like, Hyperpalliative is the phrase that they usually use to describe things like this, but these really, really strongly like sugar-laden or fat-laden or salt-laden foods, like our brains are just not used to that. That's not how it would have been like 10,000 years ago. And I I hate to bust out the paleo argument because honestly, I think saying like paleo man ate this is a really weak argument for basing a diet around, especially considering that so many of the foods that we have today are completely different than they would have been, again, those 10,000 years ago. But that's another, that's another thing. I'm sorry, I'm tangent city today. But so our brains haven't really evolved yet. And we consume all this sugar. It's hyper palliative. There's so much sugar in soda. And that's pleasurable to your brain. And again, like that mechanism is actually good if you're like a wild human or like a chimpanzee who is looking for something that is really nutritive because if you are in the wild and you find fruit, fruit is pretty caloric as compared to like a tuber or uh, greens, definitely greens. And so that mechanism is in place so that when you find those things as like, this wild creature who doesn't have a 7-Eleven on every corner, then that's a good thing because your body is in this like feast or famine mode. So when you find that sugar, it's great. Your body's being programmed to want more of it. However, we don't live in this scarcity world where there 
isn't access to food at all times and where we, and I mean, that's not to say that people don't go hungry. That's just to say that for the most part, if you have access to a podcast, you probably have enough resources to buy yourself some Skittles. Um, so we're not supposed to have this. This isn't how it's supposed to be. And your brain gets really confused and it still creates that addictive response. Um, so that wouldn't be necessarily the worst thing in the world that your body started to crave soda all the time if the dopamine response wasn't also over time blunted by soda consumption and sugar consumption. So it's the argument that your dare officer or your drug education instructor taught you, which is like, it's not just that you need more of it all the time or so you need to be, keep consuming it all the time. You need more and more and more and more of an addictive substance to get the same response. So if you are, it's like basically when you go off to college and your drinking tolerance suddenly shoots up sky high because there's no one regulating that for you and you realize that it now costs like four times as much money as it should to and have a good time at a bar. So... It's the same type of thing as that. It's like how when you have one cup of coffee in the morning, over time, that one cup of coffee doesn't really seem to do anything. And now you need two cups of coffee just to feel the same way as you did with one cup of coffee. It's Again, it's that blended response. It's the, the body trying to achieve this state of equilibrium and needing to balance everything out. So suddenly the effect is lessened. Your body has managed to cope with it. Same thing happens with soda. So soda isn't just impacting your, um, your brain when you consume it. It's not just impacting this pleasure center. It also impacts your, I'm sorry, I said impact maybe four times there, but it also affects your hormone levels and that entire system whenever you consume it. And that is, again, through sugar and specifically insulin. So the rapid uptake of sugar into your bloodstream after drinking soda triggers the release of insulin, which is a hormone that we've talked about before, and it tries to stabilize your blood sugar levels. Now, it does this by shuttling your blood sugar or shuttling the sugar out of your blood. And what's actually interesting about this is when insulin levels rise, so do cortisol levels. Cortisol is kind of um, like the sister hormone to insulin. So what cortisol does is it actually raises your blood sugar. And it's interesting that it rises here, but your body is really smart and realizes that if it shuttles all of the insulin or out of the, all of the sugar out of your bloodstream, that eventually you're going to need some to utilize. But anyway... Cortisol rises. Now, cortisol, which we've talked about before as well, is that stress hormone, and it's typically associated with that, um, like, weight gain around your gut area and that, like, spare tire situation. But it also does a few other things. It increases that stress response, and it basically kind of... Um, it 
causes this cascade. I'm trying to like think of the best way to say this. So when hormone levels of when one type of hormone rises, the levels in your body, oftentimes because the system is so interconnected and because a lot of these hormones require the same precursors and the same co uh, cofactors to be produced, when one hormone rises, another level will dip. And in this case, when insulin rises, sex hormone binding globulin, which is that hormone compound that we talked about when we talked about um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, that actually decreases. And sex hormone binding globulin binds to excess estrogen in testosterone and and helps you flush it out of your system. Now, too much estrogen can cause mood swings and depression, and that actually also leads to sugar and soda cravings to try to elevate your mood, and it starts that awful cycle all over again. And back to cortisol, when cortisol levels increase, thyroid hormone decreases. And what's interesting about that is that your thyroid is in charge of regulating your metabolism, it also helps to regulate mood and energy levels, again, through metabolism. So when your insulin rises, you have more estrogen in your system because sex hormone binding globulin decreases. So more estrogen, which is bad for your mood. And then when insulin rises, cortisol rises. And when cortisol rises, thyroid hormone decreases and so your metabolism slows and you can become depressed and even more tired. So now you've got this hormonal response making you irritable and aggravated and depressed and exhausted and whenever I feel any of those things I typically reach for something like a soda or coffee and I think that it's it's all part of this response system where your body is more or less just training itself through several different systems to crave soda and to crave this response and this, this positive feeling you get from drinking a Diet Coke or a Mountain Dew. And when your brain is, it's kind of being held hostage like this, it's actually really, really difficult to break the cycle. And like I talked about before, I love soda and giving up soda is actually one of those incredibly difficult things for me. And it's an, a, something that I'm tempted with so easily. If a friend comes into town with, like, a case of soda. I have these, I have two friends who are absolutely obsessed with soda and diet soda specifically. And whenever they visit, they'll bring a case with them just to have at least one case. Pretty much like a case per day. It's crazy. And so during those times, I actually find it incredibly difficult to pass up, even not having had it for so long because my brain has made such a strong connection between drinking that soda and all of these feel-good chemicals. So it's this crazy thing that's still years later imprinted in my brain. So we've talked a lot about sugar and why sugar makes soda addictive, but we didn't really talk about diet soda and how diet sodas can be addictive. And they can be, <laughs> like I just talked about. So like sugar, the artificial sweeteners that are used in diet soda actually also trigger the brain's pleasure centers. So it leads to that same dopamine and neurotransmitter release, creating the same addictive response as regular soda. Now what's interesting about this response is that it's actually almost worse than with regular soda because 
your brain is really smart. And even though that pleasure center of the brain is triggered by the artificial sweeteners, the reaction is actually very different to the one produced by sugar consumption. So when artificial sweeteners are consumed, when you taste it in your tongue, your brain receives a signal that says, oh, we've had something sweet. That means that this nutrition is coming, this sugar is coming, this energy is coming. We're going to get sugar. And your brain gets excited about that because it's fueled by sugar and it wants sugar. So it sits there and it waits. It's like, yeah, sugar's coming. And then when sugar doesn't come and when your brain senses this imposter that's not sugar, it says, wait a minute, no, I get excited about sugar. I need this sugar. I need this nutrition. We need to have more of whatever they're drinking so that we can get the sugar because your brain tastes that it's an artificial sweetener. It tastes that sweetness. It's still waiting for the actual calories to follow, for the nutrition to follow. And so it triggers a craving for even more of this, this compound. And obviously your brain isn't, it doesn't function exactly like that, but that's more or less the gist of the situation, which I think is fascinating that your brain sits there and it waits for more sugar to come. And actually I'm reminded of a study that was done with runners or athletes and they were put on the treadmill and made to run, I think, to exhaustion. And and I might be totally wrong about this and I'll try to find it and link to this study in the show notes. But from what I remember, they were made to run basically to exhaustion and then they were given like a spritz of one of three substances in their mouths to try to keep them going. And one was just plain water. So like does hydrating, does having that little spritz of plain water increase or decrease performance? Um, And then another compound or another substance was like sugar water. And then the third substance was this artificial sweetener water. And they did actually show an increased performance immediately following both the sugar water and the artificial sweetener water, which is interesting because it's not a totally instantaneous thing that sugar would reach your brain. So clearly it's this, this mechanism by which your, your tongue or your senses say, oh, the sweetness is hitting. We're going to get nutrition. Like we can do it. We can make it a little longer. And so it really like helps you push forward. But I think that if these runners were made to go much longer over a longer distance, they would have showed that it doesn't necessarily work that way. Like, and your body does need that sugar to actually kind of keep going. Um, and I'll link that study. It was really interesting. But aside from sugar, aside from artificial sweeteners, the other thing that makes both diet and regular soda so addictive, and we did touch on this a bit earlier, is caffeine. And caffeine is actually able to pass through the blood-brain barrier pretty quickly after consumption. And so it enters the brain very rapidly. Now, once in the brain, caffeine is actually really unique in that it's about the same shape as a neurotransmitter called adenosine. So adenosine creates that feeling of drowsiness in humans. And when caffeine binds to these adenosine receptors, because since it's the same shape, it can kind of like float in and bind to these receptors. It actually blocks them and prevents adenosine from binding. So now your brain has all this adenosine, which is that drowsy feeling chemical, just floating around in there. And it says, oh man, there's a lot of adenosine in here. We got to balance this out. 
And so it triggers the release of adrenaline, which I'm sure you all know is a super strong stimulant. And this is all, again, in that attempt to achieve equilibrium. Equilibrium. So now, basically, caffeine, which is a stimulant in a kind of indirect way because it's really just blocking the receptors for adenosine to allow a lot of the stimulant in, which, again, like, makes us, one, not feel as drowsy, and two, then have, like, that super jolt of adrenaline. But your brain associates this and begins to realize that it needs to have more and more caffeine. And that is because, again, it's trying to achieve equilibrium. So after a while if of regular caffeine drinking, of regular soda consumption, your brain says, okay, so we have all of this caffeine coming in, blocking all these receptors. Let's just put more receptors on the cells. So now you have more receptors, which means more adenosine combined, which means you're a little more tired. So what do you do? You drink more caffeine. And it's, it's basically just another type of cycle because your body gets tired if you don't have the caffeine. It leads to a whole slew of withdrawal symptoms, which anyone who's ever tried to give up either like a caffeinated soda or coffee is totally aware of. And it basically kind of keeps us trapped. Now, again, we talked about how soda is addictive because of the sugar and because of the artificial sweeteners. And it's interesting to note that there are some sodas that on the market that don't actually contain like your t- typical traditional artificial sweeteners. And it's Zevia or Zevia. I'm actually not sure how that's pronounced. But either way, that's the brand. I'll, I'll link to it. That's the brand that I've become pretty attached to. And they use erythritol and stevia to sweeten these beverages. And I think that that's interesting because unlike most artificial sweeteners, they don't tend to have the neurotoxicity. They don't have the, um, I guess, like the killing your gut flora issues, which is pretty important if you're trying to be healthy. You don't want your gut flora dying. You don't want your microbiome being sacrificed or soda. And um, I actually really enjoy drinking these. And recently... Zevia, Zevia, whatever, actually removed all of the coloring from their sodas. So their sodas are all clear now, which is pretty cool, especially considering that caramel coloring is actually a known carcinogen. So every time we drink like a diet soda with caramel coloring or regular soda or anything, which is most sodas, it's anything that's like vaguely brown, so like ginger ale or root beer or like cola, any of those. Caramel coloring. And it's you're putting a known carcinogen in your body. And I know we talked about on the meat episode how a lot of the times it's like dosage is what's important and you should not be terrified to eat something like bacon just because it could cause cancer over time. But I feel like something like caramel coloring, which is entirely unnecessary, it is only aesthetic and it can probably be replicated with something that isn't a carcinogen. I feel like that's unnecessary. You don't need to consume that. So anyway, I'll link to Zevia. I'll link to that study with people running on a treadmill. I'll link to a few other things just because learning is fun and that will pretty much do it. So I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. As usual, the show notes are available at healthygamergirl.com slash show notes. You can find me at healthygamergirl.com. You can then click to all my social channels. Um, Follow me on Instagram at healthygamergirl. I love Instagram. 
and reach out to me via email or pretty much on any of my social channels. I love answering questions. It really brightens my day. Um, thanks for tuning in. I will see you all next time. Have a great rest of this holiday season.